0: I was 30 years old. I was driving home from work and I was late. Don't remember why I was late. I don't remember what I was late for, but I remember I was late and I was in a hurry. I was on a two-lane road. The speed limit was 45 miles an hour. The white-haired gentleman in front of me was going about 25 miles an hour. And I was frustrated uh, and I was angry. And I think I pulled up pretty close behind him. I think I did everything I could to encourage him to speed up or move over. But there was nothing I could do. Just kept plodding along. Fortunately, the road opened up into four lanes a little bit ahead. And my chance was coming up. I was going to get a chance to pass this guy and... Show him my disapproval of his driving habits. (laughs) So I rolled down the window of the passenger side and I pulled up alongside of him and just as I was raising my fist, he beat me to the punch. With a huge warm smile and a face that was way too familiar, he mouthed the words, Hi, John. (laughs) It was my pastor. That was humbling, and it was humbling because at the time, by all accounts, I was the model churchgoer. Only problem was that model churchgoer had not yet made it to the driver's seat of my car. So welcome, my name's John if I haven't met you, and uh, if you haven't been with us in a while, we're in the middle of a series entitled The Undivided Self. And that concept begs the answer to the question, how do you live an undivided life? And as I tried to wrap my arms around that concept, in my mind, the best I came up with was the undivided self will live an undivided life. And living of undivided life means we bring all of who we are, all of our self, to every situation. And that's a really big thought if you think about it because each of us, we go through seasons in our life, right? And as we go through their seasons, there are many, many roles that we play in each season. And I guarantee you that there's more than one woman here who during the course of their life has played the role of wife, mother, granddaughter, daughter, sister, friend, student, teacher, employee. And that list could go on and on. How in the world do we bring all of who we are to all of those roles? I mean, every role that we play has different demands and different challenges. And to top it off, we live in a world that has a pull, that pulls us away from the best of our intentions. So this thing of living an undivided life, it's a challenging thing. And before we tackle that, let's Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the gift of today. I thank you for each person here. And Lord, I pray that we just have the ability to leave behind for a while the things that swirl around us and give ourselves fully to you. Help our spirits be receptive to your spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today is what, January 28th? Is that right? It was December 31st that Andrew kicked this series off. And he encouraged us to stop living a segmented life. The kind of life where you're the model churchgoer on Sunday, but you're ready to shake your fist at your pastor on Monday. Right? Thanks a lot, Andrew. Week two, Ruth talked about living the undivided life at home. And and she talked about sometimes work gets the best and our family gets the rest. And she offered the practice of being where your feet are, more specifically, being Christ where your feet are. Stuck with me. Last week, Wally and Rex talked about living the undivided life with friends. And Wally talked about how Barnabas, as a friend, opened doors for Paul with the early Christians that would have been closed to him at first. And Rex offered the practice of asking your friend, what's your story, as a way of opening doors with your friends. Well, today we're going to talk about living the undivided life at work. How do we resist the urge of getting ahead by cutting the corners of our convictions or pretending to be someone we are not? How do we joyfully bring all of who we are every day to our work? And by the way, I know that for some of you right now, work is creating the very best environment at home you can for your family or it may mean being the very best student, athlete, friend, grandparent, neighbor, or whatever it is you can be. And I can assure you that everything I say today, it applies to all of that work. So to try and answer the question of how we live an undivided life at work, we're, we're gonna look at Jesus' interaction with two tax collectors. And before we do that, It's a very Walker Harbor thing to do. I want to just make sure that we're all kind of sitting in the same context when it has to do with tax collectors. I mean, you probably know that in Jesus' time, this whole issue of taxes was kind of a big mess for the Jewish people. The Roman government, they governed over them and they they imposed heavy taxes on them. And they actually put the job of collecting those taxes out for bid. They'd have a region and the highest bidder would earn the privilege to collect the taxes. It happened to be a 100% commission job. So this person had the ability to collect as much as they could, hand over what they had to hand over, and keep the rest. Most of the time it was a wealthy Roman man who ended up being a tax collector. But if it was a Jewish man who happened to take that role, that guy was considered the worst of the worst. And that's because as a Jew becoming a tax collector, it was the ultimate act of betrayal. They were protected by and working for the enemy to oppress their brothers and sisters with unfair taxes so they could get rich about as low as they could go so just to be crystal clear to a Jew at the time of Jesus if they could have googled the word sinner tax collectors would be at the top of the list with a capital T they were a person who was totally beyond redemption in their mind that's who we're talking about when we talk about tax collectors And as bad as they were, it shouldn't come as a a surprise to you that Jesus had the audacity to invite even tax collectors to follow him. So we're going to take a peek at two tax collectors who said yes. Matthew, you know Matthew? He has one of the books in the library of our Bible named after him. And Matthew was a tax collector who was called to be one of Jesus' inner circle, one of his 12 disciples. And that invitation meant that he would leave his work, leave his home, leave all of the really nice things that propped up his comfortable and predictable life, and begin a new work. That was Matthew. Zacchaeus was also a tax collector who not only had a famous song named after him that you probably all know, but he was called by Jesus to be a follower and yet he was called to stay in his job and do it a different way. So Matthew was called to leave his work and follow Jesus. Zacchaeus was called to stay at his work and follow Jesus. And we're going to dig a little deeper into Zacchaeus' story Because I'm pretty sure there are more Zacchaeuses here than there are Matthews. And so his story begins in Luke chapter 9, I've asked Sawyer if he would read the scripture for us and he said he would.
1: Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost.
0: Thank you, sir. That's a packed story. If you can flip to the next slide great you see in verse 1 Jesus entered Jericho and he was passing through Luke mentions Jericho I think because Jericho was quite something at the time there's a Bible commentator named William Barclay and he said this about Jericho he said it had a great palm forest and world-famous balsam groves which perfumed the air for miles around Its gardens of roses were known far and wide. Men called it the city of palms. Josephus called it a divine region, the fattest in Palestine. The Romans carried its dates and balsam to worldwide trade and fame. I think the point of Luke mentioning Jericho at the very beginning of this story is because Jericho was a pretty darn good place to be a tax collector. So he mentions that before he even introduces Zacchaeus. In verse 2, he introduces Zacchaeus as a chief tax collector and as wealthy. The wealthy part's a given, but the chief tax collector thing is pretty significant. It would have meant that Zacchaeus had tax collectors working underneath him, which meant he had influence, and it also meant he had strong motivation to have as many taxes collected as possible because he made a cut off of each one of those people who were collecting taxes, much like I did when I taught tennis for a living and there were people that were teaching tennis with me. If you read on in verses 3 and 4, this wealthy chief tax collector, he wanted to see Jesus Wanted to see who he was, but he was too short, couldn't see over the crowd, so he ran ahead and he climbed a tree. And I want you to know a few things about Zacchaeus. First of all, he was Jewish and his name was of Hebrew origin, and it meant pure or innocent. Zacchaeus was anything but pure or innocent, right? He was someone who extorted money from those who couldn't afford it. He was a traitor. He knew it. Everyone else knew it. And he lived with the fact that he was not living into the name that he had been given. Another thing that you need to know about him is that he was short, likely under five feet tall if we go by the standards of that time. And it's a good bet he was made fun of physically, physically, Looked down upon because his body was short but his bank account was tall that's how he stuck it to them but it was this guy who was blinded by greed and hated by most everybody around who ran ahead and climbed a tree so he could see Jesus you know that running would have been an undignified thing for a Jewish man to do Climbing a tree would have been out of the question. But that's exactly what Zacchaeus did. And it's because he cared more about seeing Jesus than he did about what people thought about how he tried to see Jesus. There's a Bible commentator named Alexander McLaren, and he said this. He said, I wish there were more of us who did not mind being laughed at if only what we did helped us to see Jesus. Jesus. We'll move on and peek at at verses 5 and 6. Jesus gets to this spot that Zacchaeus had run ahead to, and he sees this guy up in a tree. And he knows who he is. And the very first thing that he does is he calls him by name. How long do you think it had been since Zacchaeus had heard his name used in a kind way? Long time. Starting that conversation with him was smart, it was kind, and it was personal. It said to Zacchaeus, I know you. You matter. And it seems to have opened a door to Zacchaeus's heart. the next thing Jesus says is come down immediately. And to me, the text makes it sound like Jesus is saying, do it right now before you change your mind. And then he says, I must stay at your house today. And I like to think that Jesus had this in mind even before he got to Jericho. He didn't plan to stay at the guy who was the ruler of the synagogue. He didn't plan to stay at the guy who made the most money. He didn't plan to stay with anybody like that. He planned to stay with the guy who nobody liked. Jesus invited Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus responded, and then the text says Zacchaeus came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And just one more thing I want you to notice about that little interaction. There's nothing transactional about it from the standpoint of Jesus. He wanted to go to Zacchaeus' house and begin a relationship, starting by probably having a meal together and spending some time together. Now, as you might expect, this whole scene that went down didn't go over very big with the crowd that was there. Everybody that was there would have rolled out the red carpet to have Jesus come to their house. But he chooses this guy? This guy? You've got to be kidding me. Verse 7. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. And can you blame them? I mean, Jesus is going to stay with the guy that's been bleeding them dry. Right? The guy that's been living in luxury as they lived in poverty. Jesus had gone too far as far as they were concerned but Zacchaeus turned this around so quickly by showing Jesus' heart, his heart and what was actually going on here if you look at verse 8 Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord look Lord here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor and if I've cheated anyone out of anything I will pay back four times the amount wow It's a pretty bold statement, Zacchaeus. You've just said that in front of Jesus and you said it in front of a bunch of people who are going to make sure you do exactly what you said. It sure seems like you've just decided that you're going to be a different kind of tax collector. It sure seems like in a split second you've gone from a corrupt tax collector to an honest one who's going to do his best to do his job as pure and innocent as he can. Can a life really change that quickly? I don't think every habit of Zacchaeus has changed right then, but his heart did. And what he said in front of Jesus and all those people really proved that. Well, I always like to ask the question, so what? What is this, dis- this story of Matthew, which we just touched on briefly, and the story of Zacchaeus have to do with living an undivided life at work? Well, both Matthew and Zacchaeus possess some very strong personal traits that help them excel at work. They were organized, determined, focused, ambitious. They were leaders. They were practical. And before their encounter with Jesus, they took all of those traits and they used them to serve themselves at the expense of others, right? After saying yes to Jesus, they took all of those traits to serve others at the expense of themselves. One of, his, one of them left his work for a new work. The other did his same work in a totally different way. It was a remarkable change in their lives after a, a remarkable change in their hearts. And what I think is most interesting, what I really want to know about the story is how did that heart change actually happen i've had heart change happen in my life i've had heart change i wished happened in my life and i wonder why has it not happened so that's what's most interesting to me is how did that heart change happen and the truth is i don't know but i'll tell you what i do know most of us make hundreds of decisions every day Sometimes we have the time to think them through, other times we don't. Sometimes we make decisions that line up with our values, other times we don't. And the truth is, in our busy lives, we don't have the time to think through every single decision we make. Would you agree with that? Often our decisions are guided by our heart, not our mind. And actually, we're most honest, authentic, and transparent. Thanks, Rex when we're living from our heart doesn't mean we check our brain at the door but the truth is for much of the day our heart is the guiding force of our decisions and so the question is wouldn't it be great if our heart could be trusted to make those decisions because it's going to happen as I reflected on Matthew and Zacchaeus I I started thinking, you know what? It's possible that they were living an undivided life at work before they even met Jesus. It could have been that before they met Jesus, their hearts were set on serving themselves at the expense of others. After Jesus, their hearts were set on something totally different, right? Their lives were changed. So maybe the best thing I can really say this morning is let Jesus change your heart not just once but again and again and again so if we circle back how do we get to a place where we joyfully bring all of who we are to our work all of the time I think it involves a heart change and I also think there's not a simple way to make that heart change happen If you spent much time here, you've been exposed to several practices that will help you align the rhythm of your life to let you follow Jesus, to make that something that that will happen more. And I can't tell you which practice would be the most benefit to you, but since we've talked about Zacchaeus a little bit, I kind of want to leave you with three things that I think we can learn from Zacchaeus. The first one is seek Jesus with determination. You know, there are plenty of things in life that are bright, shiny, new, loud, and they're clamoring for your attention. This is one of them, right? But Jesus isn't like that. He's not going to clamor for your attention. He's always present. He's always available. But you, you need to seek him. You need to have some determination to seek him. And when you do, he'll invite you, and you have an opportunity to respond. And the cool thing about Zacchaeus' story, I think, is that Zacchaeus was seeking Jesus while Zacchaeus was seeking Jesus. Did I say that right? Zacchaeus was seeking Jesus, and Jesus was seeking Zacchaeus. Yeah. Confusing, but cool. The second thing is when you hear from Jesus, respond to him with joy. And here's what I mean by that. When When you know Jesus enough to know what you should do, do it. Don't think about it, don't put off. Don't write a message about it. Don't form a committee to study it. Do it. Have enough faith to believe that stepping into the kingdom of God right here, right now, is what you were born to do. And third, live into who you meant you were meant to be. You are a child of the divine. Live into that when you know who you are and whose you are and that guides how you live, that congruence, that undividedness will bring joy and peace to your heart and to others. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for The gift of being able to be here today. I thank you for the gift of the lives of Matthew and Zacchaeus. Jesus, I thank you that you uh, have a love that is tenacious and will never stop and will go after the last person on the earth that we think should be gone after. If there was one thing that clicked today for for anyone, I pray that you would just cement it into their heart so they have it with them forever. Amen. Amen.